we came up with a second generation and uh, it's a submillimeter with really tiny optics and fibers that's able to go into the ostium which is like less than a millimeter in diameter. One slide can create so much data and there's so much information you can get from it. It's, it's more than, than I ever imagined. You can go work in research in all kinds of places, doing all kinds of amazing projects if that's what you're passionate about. Welcome to this episode of the 2021 Women in Histology podcast, brought to you by the National Society for Histotechnology. This episode features NSH Executive Board Member Michelle Bell interviewing Faith Rice, a Senior Research Specialist from the University of Arizona, about her most recent project, the development of Philoposcope, a potentially life-saving device that will help with the early detection of ovarian cancer. They discuss how the device works and share some perspectives about being a research scientist. Be sure to check out more information about the work being done from the link in the description below. So hi, thank you for joining us. Um, my name is Michelle Bell. I am currently uh, one of the executive board members for the NSH. I've been a tech for about 20 years now, worked in everything from a research lab all the way to a, a reference lab. And now I'm currently uh, working with applications and sales for one of the vendors. So that's me, but I'm actually here to talk about uh, and with uh, Faith Rice is uh, my guest today. And we're going to be talking with her about her career, the work that she's doing, um, and, and the impact that it's going to have on women in particular and our, our future as far as um, health screening. Uh, Faith, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Michelle. Uh, thanks for having me here. I actually started out as a medical technologist and uh, worked for that in that aspect at 10 years. And then I moved into the research field and eventually got into the histology lab. So I've been in research for about 22 years. Uh, first in cardiovascular research and then into um, a tissue optics lab where we do cancer imaging. That's amazing. You're with uh, the University of Arizona, correct? Yes, I've been at the University of Arizona for 22 years. So you started off as a med tech. What kind of just uh, helped you kind of guide you into the, the path of a med tech? Because, you know, between med techs and histotechs, it's not a traditional study track typically it's one of those things we kind of fall into well I really went into medical technology originally because I just wanted to be in medicine where I helped people but not having direct patient contact and I actually got into research when my husband went to graduate school and I got a job at the University of South Carolina so uh, from there, I really discovered that I like being in a learning environment. I just really thrive on that. So I always like learning something new. So you've been basically doing research for 22 years. Almost 23. <laughs> so at, from the perspective of, of research, you are constantly in a state of learning, right? Almost as if you're a student every day. Right. <laughs> I feel like I'm that student that never graduates. <laughs> <laughs> 
But in the, the process of that, you're doing some really amazing research right now that, that directly impacts the, the, the health and well-being of, of many women, correct? Right. Yep. On the, we're all on the cutting edge of all the new technology. So why don't we talk a little bit about kind of the, the background. Uh, last year you had um, a post release submitted with NSH that was kind of just a small piece of what this research is, right? Right. Uh, we did a preliminary study with uh, testing how much pressure can a fallopian tube handle before bursting uh, for a safety aspect. And that was the preliminary study for our uh, falloposcope, which is uh, what we are working on now and getting ready to go into the clinical studies. Right now, that one's the magic, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about the falloposcope and what what the, the study is aimed to achieve. Okay, so um, we're looking at uh, finding a potential screening method for high-risk patients uh, with ovarian cancer or suspected ovarian cancer. So women with uh, that are, have a, f- a family history, uh, maybe have uh, gene altercations such as BRCA's or their reproductive history, they have maybe had a later pregnancy after 35. Um, they're at higher risks for ovarian cancer and then women of advanced age. So there's no real screening for ovarian cancer. Women are usually diagnosed at a later stage because there's no symptoms. There's lack of an effective screening method. So what does that mean prognostically for, um, for these women typically? So 79% of the cases are not discovered until they're already at advanced stage uh, with a five-year survival rate as low as 29%. So it's, it's not good. We ideally would like to screen these high-risk women so that they can keep their ovaries as long as possible. You know, don't remove them until it's absolutely necessary. Could you tell the audience why it's important for, for the, the ovaries to stay intact? Well, it, it will throw you into uh, into menopause. So if you if you have your ovaries removed before it's you're in menopause, you're going, it's going to throw you into menopause, and um, it causes a lot of different things. Um, increase uh, cardiovascular mortality because you no longer have the estrogen to protect your cardiovascular system, and then gives you an increased risk of osteoporosis. So. And then you fast forward where you, where you did the study with the, uh, the, the fallopian tubes to test the burst rate. And I'm assuming that's so that you could make sure that this falloposcope was going to be safe, right? Right. So we want to flush um, or inflate the tubes a little bit with either saline or, um, and also now we're thinking of putting CO2, using CO2 to inflate the, over, um, the fallopian tube so that we can see the, um, the sides with the scope and everything. So we wanted to know how much saline can we put into the tube safely without causing a burst. Right. So this would kind of almost be similar to what we do with a colonoscopy uh, with the, the endoscope, correct? Only on just a much smaller scale. Right, a lot smaller, <laughs> sub-millimeter scale. Yeah, so just like think the, the magic school bus type of shrinking almost. <laughs> right, right. And our, our first, um, our prototype 
was uh, a little bit larger um, uh, so that we could just get the, um, you know, can we do this? Can we get this scope? Can we get images? What can we see with it? So then once we figured that out, we've got that made, it was successful. We came up with a second generation and uh, it's a submillimeter with really tiny optics and fibers. Yeah, so that's able to go into the ostium, which is like less than a millimeter in diameter. Right, and then talk a little bit about that imaging. So it's not it's not like the standard camera you would have on an, an endoscope, which is just a plain old optic camera. You guys have a little bit different um, technique going there, right? Right, so we have uh, our flow code. Flopscope combines uh, spectral domain OCT, optical coherence tomography, and uh, a pseudo white light imaging and a fluorescence microscopy. So we have three different image modalities there. So the OCT, um, the optical coherence tomography, uh, is an imaging technique that uses low coherence light to capture um, micrometer resolution in um, two and three dimensional images. So we can see, we have a resolution of about 10 to 20 microns. We're seeing at a cellular level, and then we get into a depth of up to two millimeters. So we're looking, you're looking literally at cells uh, with this scope, basically. Yeah, yes. So um, you can see, you can see changes. You can see structural changes, morphological changes. Um, you can see Changes such as thickening of the epithelium or loss of organized structure if you do have an abnormality, which is the hallmark of cancer. So, and then the one thing that uh, that I've learned in in um, getting prepared for this uh, conversation is that ovarian cancer is actually starting in the fallopian tubes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, the um, serous tubal intraepithelial carcinoma. The acronym is STIC. <laughs> um, that's like one of the most common types. And there, the research has shown that uh, it, it does start in the fallopian tubes. So it's critical to image the fallopian tube area. So then the idea would be to catch it before it gets to the ovaries, right? Right. If we can catch it at stage one or two, it, it's definitely your chances of survival go way up. And then so if you, me, yeah, and tell me, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about um, what that process is. So you got, you've got the scope in there and you're doing the, the imaging. Um, what, how, or how does this screening happen? Okay. So the um, surgeon will insert a hysteroscope and uh, we'll have a, um, a catheter that will um, be inserted. And then the, the floposcope endoscope will go through the catheter and then the uh, will guide it to the ostium. Through the ostium, then it'll be fed up all the way through the fallopian tubes. So wow. we've got, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty incredible. So, and then you're doing cell scrapings, right? We are, that, that'll be the next version of our system. So the endoscope itself, it has some channels and, and you can imagine how small this is. Um, and I'm looking at now I have an image. Um, the, the tip of the endoscope, if you look at a penny, 
you've got the dates and I'd say it's about half the size of the dates. That's the diameter of the, of the endoscope. I think it's about, it's like a size of a, a mechanical pencil lead. That's tiny. Yeah. So, so there's channels. So we have a lens um, uh, for the, uh, that's connected to a fiber bundle and that's for the, the fluorescent uh, imaging. And then the other channel has a, another lens, which is an OCT for the OCT probe for that imaging. And then a couple of illumination fibers. And then in addition, they'll have pool wires so that it's, it's not just a straight endoscope, it's steerable. So we can go to one side or the other up, down so that we have those capabilities of looking all throughout the diameter of the fallopian tube. And then we also have another channel that we are going to be putting a wire in where it'll be um, like a curved wire and it'll go out and go around and scrape some cells of the interest area and pull back. And then we'll take those cells out and do some staining. Gosh, that's amazing. So you're, you're able to actually get samples from inside the over uh, the, the the fallopian tube without disrupting the fallopian tube itself. Right. Gosh, that's just that's mind blowing. But um, so for the fluorescence imaging, your body has endogenous proteins that fluoresce if there's like certain disease states. So we'll be able to see um, without the use of dyes as well. So it's much yeah, safer. So you'll know even without the scrapings that, that there's an abnormality there and you need to be concerned. Right. And that can guide us to the area of the abnormality and we could do the cell scraping. Amazing. So tell me, um, you know, this is such a, amazing cutting edge research. And um, how many different departments are you working with within uh, the university? Because I'm sure it's not just the laboratory. It sounds like you're having to work with like biomed and, and, and the physicians and clinicians. And so how many different departments are coming together for this study? Well, so my department is biomedical engineering. And uh, we, we have um, a lot of um, optical um, engineering students from PhDs mm -hmm. to undergrads, we have some biomedical engineering students as well. So mm -hmm. we have that whole group coming together and lots of uh, very intelligent people and that have come up with this design. Of course, um, uh, Jennifer Barton, my uh, boss, and she's, uh, she's an amazing person. She's really, uh, you know, to get these ideas out there and to build this, have her students build this machinery. And it's just, it's amazing and I'm hoping really it saves lives. It is amazing. And I just find it very inspiring that you get to be involved in such an amazing project that could really revolutionize how we handle screening for a cancer that kills so many women just because we can't find it until it's too late. Right, the a silent killer. Yeah, it's it is it is really um, exciting. I enjoy coming to work every day and um, being involved in all this. It's it's just great. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any children, daughters, sons? I do have a son, and um, he's actually a firefighter. Yeah. So you know, I just think um, you're inspiring for everyone, and I'm sure you are for him as well. How many female students do you have working with you in the uh, in your program? 
Oh, so right now we actually have uh, quite a few. We just graduated um, three students, uh, PhD students. So that was actually um, two men and one um, woman. And we have, gee, okay, it's off the top of my head, five. We have undergrads and, and graduate students. So we have three graduate students, female graduate oh, students. I mean, I, I, it just feels great to hear that we have so many women moving into the field. Oh, um, yes. It's kind of like breaking through that glass ceiling where everybody thinks, you know, biomed, it's a male-driven world, but it's really not anymore. And I think um, people like you are the ones who inspire the younger generations um, into these, these STEM fields and make them feel comfortable and, and confident in, in their abilities to be able to do this work. Right. Yeah. And, and the optics too, which was probably a pretty big male dominated field for a while. And it's, there's a lot of women and they're really making, um, great strides in this field. Do you guys have, uh, any plans on publishing uh, this article anytime soon? Do you know what your timelines are for this project? Well, we actually, um, the uh, burst paper that, that I did that study on with a poster, that's uh, with the editor of the Journal of Histotechnology. And um, our other staff member that just left, he his paper has been accepted. And that has to do with the cell scraping device. Oh, so, that's so exciting. So yeah. we'll have to make sure that we uh, we include those uh, those links. Oh, sure. Sure, I could share my uh, our website as well. I just want to thank you for your time today. It's been great. It's just really inspiring to hear stories about the research that's being done and the histotechs that are involved. Um, and it just kind of lets everyone know that histotechnology is not just in in uh, the patient care realm as far as like clini- uh, in a clinical lab. You can go work in research in all kinds of places, doing all kinds of amazing projects if that's what your passion is. Oh, sure. It is. There's just, you can't do research without histology. It, it, what's really amazing is one slide can create so much data and there's so much information you can get from it. It's, it's more than, than I ever imagined. I, for one, really hope that you consider giving um, workshops for the NSH because I would be ecstatic if I could take some, some more in-depth workshops with the work that you're doing and just see some of the work that you guys are, are, uh, are putting out. It's just amazing, amazing work. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode, and don't forget to check us out on your favorite podcasting site. Use the word histotalks. Awesome podcast!